Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show here with Elias. How you doing today, bud? Good. Thanks for having me back on the show. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, you've, you're doing a great job. We keep having you back every week. Someday you'll host this by yourself. We'll see. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I just the I keep getting invited back. To me, that's a win. So I'm back on the show. Things are going good for me. So something I've noticed the last couple of weeks, you ditched the plaid, and you're trying to like directly match me. I want to be more like you. You're oh my, my hero, so I just want to be like you and wear golf polos. Well, you know, some, I wear T-shirts sometimes, but uh, it's a good look on you today, bud. Yeah, I don't. The plaid was just kind of. I kind of ran with that for a while, but I wasn't feeling it anymore. It was like when, um, remember how Michael Jordan wore 45 for a little bit, and then he went back to 23 because he just didn't like the feeling of 45. I was kind of getting that way with the plaid. That just didn't work for MJ. It didn't He's feel 23. right. No, plaid yeah. didn't feel right for me, so I, I went like back it. went back to my old ways. Cool. Well, Last night I was kicking around on TikTok and I talked with Molly and thought it'd be fun to check out some TikTok videos again. And uh, I love it. The first one we're going to watch is funny because we all know this guy. I left my wallet in the car. Can you spot me $10? No worries, man. Here you go. Thanks, man. I'll get you back next week. Dude, yeah, I lost my credit card. Can I borrow $10? No way, dude. You haven't even paid me back from last week. I promise I'll pay you back. Okay, I'll give you the $10, but you got to pay me $12 next week. But I'm only borrowing $10. Why do I have to pay you back $12? Because you haven't paid back your old debts, I don't trust that you're going to pay back your new debts. So now I'm going to charge you a high interest rate on the money you borrow. I mean, that's how it works in the real world. So Elias, we all, we all know or have a friend like this who they never seem to have money. In fact, it reminds me of the story. Jeff tells about Jonas in the office when they went to Vegas and Jonas left his money in the car in Cedar Rapids. So the, then he had oh, to so borrow he, money from He left Jeff. his money in the car for the entire trip. Yeah, and so he had to have Jeff's spot on the money because it was just easier to spend somebody else's money than his own. Well, yeah. Next and, time I go to Vegas, I'm going to leave all my money in the car too and <laughs> hopefully just borrow money while I'm there. But I think it's a good lesson because what it talks about with people is, you know, if you don't pay your bills on time or you don't pay your credit cards on time or whatever it is you owe somebody, when you go back and need a little more, number one, they're less likely to give it to you. Or number two, you're going to have to pay much higher interest rate to get it. And I think a lot of young people don't realize this. And it goes back to even my days in college. I remember, you know, my wife and I, we just got married and you have to always make a decision like who's going to handle the money, right? Like who's going to write the bills and do all that stuff. So the first month, my wife's like, I'll do it. Next thing I know, like late notice on the water bill. I'm like, why don't we pay the water bill? Oh, I just forgot. Well, that was an accident. I get it. But over time, if you forget to do things, whether intentional or not, it can add up to cost you a lot of money in the long run. Yeah. So the simple solution, just pay your bills on time and pay your debts, right? Well, the beauty of today, though, the beauty of today versus like 20 years ago, 20 years ago, there was an ACH from your bank account where you just automatically paid it. You had to physically write a check today. Really easy to just automate and say, hey, I want it to automatically come out. I know when I refinance my house, I just set up on auto pay. It comes out the same day every month. I don't have to think about it. Same day I get paid, all that stuff. It works really easy. So some of that stuff is a lot easier to manage um, how we actually pay stuff. But good lesson. We should always make sure we pay our debts, because if you don't, it's going to cost you more money in the long term. And what's interesting in the video, I don't know if you noticed this. They're at an AMC. 
I did notice that. So I thought it was actually going to be a, a stock, stock trade video at first, but I'm sure that catches people atten- people's attention on uh, uh, TikTok to get them to watch the video, right? So Elias, the next video I saw actually kind of segues into this next one where, you know, one challenge when people decide to get married is, you know, how are you going to do the finances? Me and my partner never plan on fully combining our finances, so here's how we navigate that. We wanted a system that worked where even if one of us was making more than the other person, it still felt fair in our eyes. So we decided to put a certain percentage into a joint account and that joint account has all of our joint expenses. So we have worked it out where we can afford where each of us puts 30% of our income into that joint account. It will cover all of our joint expenses and our joint savings goals. So we have one joint checking, saving, and a joint credit card. Pretty much everything except for rent comes off of that credit card. The checking pays the credit card and then we have our savings. This way, the other 70% of our income, we can do whatever we want with it. We've been together three and a half years now. This has worked great for us. We've never had a single fight about money. Yeah, I'm kind of under the assumption once you're married, you combine the finances, you share a checking account, you share everything together. But I know some families don't do that, and I'm not one to tell someone how to do it. But typically, you know, if if you're not sharing combining finances, there's some level of animosity if one person makes more than the other and how do we make this fair and all this different stuff. What are your kind of thoughts on that? Well, I'm probably, I don't know, I'm more like you. So maybe I'm old school about this, but I, I'm married and we, all of our finances are combined. We just do it together, which, you know, really the only reason I wouldn't want to have our uh, checking account and everything combined is, you know, I'll stop somewhere for lunch or I'll stop like at a gas station and get a slice of pizza when I get gas. And uh, so my wife watches our bank account like a hawk. And then I get asked, hey, what's this three dollars and 23 cents that you spent here at the gas station at the Casey's? And well, it was lunchtime and I was hungry. I wanted a slice of pizza. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess the system she talks about that works for her and her situation. So I'm you know, that I don't think that would work for me personally, just because I feel like a marriage is, you know, you're married, everything's one at that point. Um, but if that works for her and her partner, I think the best plan for people is what works and what makes everyone happy in the situation. Yeah, I, I think, though, you know, they talk about putting 30 percent into like a joint account to pay all their bills. And it's great because what they've done is they've actually come up with some type of a lifestyle budget for themselves saying, Hey, the stuff that we have to live on is about 30%. Everything else is discretionary, right? Cause mm-hmm. they're buying with their own money. The problem becomes if one person's making five times as much, they don't share that with their spouse. Like I just feel like that's a strange way to do it. I don't think that leads to a, I mean, well, what happens? Who, so like who pays when you go out to dinner, if right, you're married and, we go Dutch. and you're doing, <laughs> and you're not having joint finances, you like split the check? do you pay every time or does your wife pay sometimes? See, I like it. Cause, uh, and every time most, uh, most, um, servers, whether it's a waiter or a waitress, they always give the, the bill to the mail that's sitting there. But, um, I always have a joke and I always just say she's paying tonight. Just you know, to see what kind of look I get or whatever, because I think it's funny. But really, we're both paying because it's here's a joint what, checking. What I don't understand, why not just combine all the money, have one joint checking account for all the bills, right? Pays all the bills. Yeah. And then what's ever left, just split it equally between the two. Why Why is it that one person, if they happen to have a higher paying job or they work a little harder, 
the other spouse isn't going to participate. What if one spouse stays home? Like, could you imagine if I went to my wife and said, hey, guess how we're going to do things these days? She stays home. Like, she's giving up an income to stay home and raise the kids. So what if I told you you don't have anything to spend this month? Because you didn't. Like you, it just you get to keep your nice truck, and she gets to drive a <laughs> used hoopty vehicle. Now. I don't know. I just I don't think that sets up for a really good long term relationship with money for most people. And I don't know if she said how long they've been married, but I have a feeling, and based upon the looks of the video, it probably hasn't been very long. She looks fairly young in the video, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I don't think that's a great budgeting tip. I don't think it's a great money tip. Part of this is telling what I think is good and bad. I, I don't. The only good part of that is I think they have a handle on what they're actually spending on a monthly basis. Yeah, it, yeah. It sounds like they do, and it sounds like they found something that works for them. So you know, more power to you if it works for you. What's a piece of information that can save you money that most people don't know about? Splitting your loan payment in half and then paying twice each month. I am still surprised by the amount of people that don't realize that you are going to save yourself so much interest doing so. Reason being is that with simple interest loans, interest accrues on a daily basis called a per diem. When you only pay once per month, you're allowing 30 days worth of interest to accrue in between each payment. If you split up that loan payment, less interest is accruing in between each payment. Plus, if you pay bi-weekly, you're paying one full extra payment per year. Hello, Seth Godwin, the guy who works in finance for more finance and credit tips. I really like this video right here, too. Um, People don't understand this. And I kind of first got this concept. I found this insurance company like 15 years ago. I had this idea that they would come out. They'd write some insurance to protect the mortgage if you passed away. But they sold to these individuals this idea of a biweekly mortgage plan. And what they were really doing is having the people make 26 payments throughout the year, which if you add that up is really 13 monthly payments. So they make one extra monthly payment per year. It actually lowers your mortgage by five years. Most people don't really understand that that's happening. And a lot of people get paid bi-weekly, right? Yeah, they do. So if they get paid bi-weekly, it's easy to just have that payment come out. But it's a really great tip to, to lessen the burden over time of that mortgage, right? Cause you go from 30 to 25 years, you save a bunch of interest. Um, and who doesn't want to pay their mortgage off a few years early by really not doing anything that you're going to notice that much. Yeah. Again, small, that's kind of a small change. just a little tweak, but that's got a big payoff. I mean, if it takes one extra payment ends up being five years off of your mortgage, that's like, that's huge for people. Yeah. And, and it's, it's almost like why people are successful investing. The most successful investors do things on a very regular and systematic basis. That's a regular and systematic basis. And I think it kind of changes somebody's mindset about their mortgage payment. Cause a lot of people say, well, my mortgage payment's 1500 bucks. Well, if you break it up and say it's 750 every two weeks, that actually just sounds and feels a little bit better than 1500 a month. What if instead of going to college from years 18 to 22 and spending an average of $26,800 a year, you worked as a waiter earning an average salary of $26,800? What if during just these four years, instead of spending your extra time getting drunk and going out, you were cool with living cheaply and created a side hustle that could generate $1,500 a month in passive income to cover your living expenses? Something cheap like drop shipping or selling digital assets. What if during just these four years, you invested your 25K salary into the S&P 500, which has netted a return of 7.9% for the last 20 years? What if after doing this, you didn't invest anymore and just left that money in the S&P 500 until you were 55 and did whatever you wanted from years 22 to 55? You would retire a millionaire. That's what would happen. What do you think about that, Elias? 
Okay, so he's basically what talking about socking all of your money away, and he's talking to like college age yeah, people. He's talking. Okay, he graduated high school instead of going to college and spending, you know, the money on college. You save twenty five thousand a year for four years, and then you don't touch it till you're fifty five. Okay, so and it highlights what we talk about a lot, and it's kind of the idea of just get started. The, the power of compound interest, the power of compounding money and compounding wealth, the younger you are, the better it is, the better it just blossoms and gets better and better and better. And this is really simple advice. I mean, it's simple advice. I wish everybody would get started early. I think he's skewing the numbers a little bit, but I think the point is let's just get started at a really young age, start putting money away. You know, I'm not going to tell people not go to college. I don't think that's a good idea, but could you go to college and still have a part-time job or you save a little money or something? Or could you try to pay for college instead of taking on the debt? I think the idea here is strictly get started. So this has time to grow and grow and grow and accumulate. Yeah, that's well. And if that's the, the main point, getting started, that's a great, that's probably the biggest thing that holds most people back is just never getting started. Um, but yeah, as far as, Okay, so just work and save because it kind of makes it sound like he's saving one hundred percent of his income. Well, how can you, how can you do that? You need some money to live on, I guess, unless you're gonna going to live at home. So I think there's takeaways from it. Like, yeah, save some even if you're in going to school and working part time. Try and sock away a little bit of that money and get an investment account started because it will pay off in the long term. But um, you know, as far as just working and saving all your money like that's not I'll never be behind that or for that I personally like to you know I like to have a job that I like but I also like to have a lifestyle and I like to do things now as opposed to just save every penny I make so then someday I can have a the certain life I want he makes it sound like it's really easy to just go generate fifteen hundred dollars of passive income if it where was that easy, that? Yeah. everybody would be doing it. So right. where do you do that? It kind of goes back to this generation. We talked about this in my office the other day. The younger millennial generation and even younger than that, they're all about how do I get passive income? How do I make money and not have to do anything? It takes and a lot of sacrifices to yeah, get to that They all point. think, oh, yeah, it's really easy. I make money and don't do anything. But nobody sees the time, the effort, the risk, all the upfront work that went to get to that point where they just have a few thousand dollars a month rolling in and it looks really, really easy. I agree with that. Hey Curtis. What's up? Do you have any advice for an 18 year old? I actually do. Go right now, apply for two credit cards. When you receive them, cut them up. Do not use them. This will help build your credit score. Two credit cards, why do you say that? Well, when I was 18 years old, I went and got two credit cards. I cut them up. When I was 23, I went to apply for my first home loan. I didn't have a job. I had a 750 credit score and I got qualified for a $250,000 mortgage. What? That's crazy. It's actually a pretty crazy life hack. Pretty crazy life hack. Yeah. So I, I guess, would that work? Does that work? I have no idea. Just opening a credit card and never using it, does yeah, I that mean, actually work? You have to build some credit at some point. Like there has to be a way to build credit. And I know people like Dave Ramsey says, never get a credit card. Well, how's someone going to build credit to buy a house? Like doesn't add up. So the real, if you have to buy, get two, I don't know if you need two, but point is have some established credit, whether, you know, and I think you can establish some credit from like 
your phone and some different things that way. But if you get a credit card and you use it responsibly, it will help you build your credit. What's the problem with credit cards? Most people get the credit card. Yeah, it's it's a use as an overspending tool. It's not used appropriately. I'll tell you about my my first credit card experience. I had a credit card when I went to college. Like my parents, like you got to have this, like case emergency. What I was the credit that. limit on it? I don't know. Probably not much. Thousand dollars. It couldn't have been more than that. But I'd never used the credit card in my entire life, ever. And I was twenty one ish, and I went down to Davenport with some friends. Went to the casino and I like never gamble, but we were down there. It was my wife's bachelorette party. So we went down to Downport to the casino and doing a little gambling. And, you know, I went with like my 200 bucks and I was out. I'm like, oh, I'm done. And my buddy's like, oh, no, you got a credit card, right? I go, yeah, okay. Yeah. Go take he a goes, cash advance. That's exactly what he told me to do. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can win my money back. So I went and did a cash advance on the credit card. <laughs> and that was my first experience. I'm like, then I get the statement, you know, I'm like most college kids. Well, I didn't really have the 300 to pay it back. So the next month it was like 325 and like the interest is ticking. And finally, you know, I've clearly paid it off, but that was my first experience. My buddy told me to go take a cash advance because <laughs> we were at the casino. It's just the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. Fortunately, it didn't cause to a lot of trouble. You know, I didn't have a high credit limit on it. It probably helped establish credit because I made the regular payment. That was, you know, the 25 bucks a minimum payment, whatever it was on $300. Yeah. Um, my, uh, so my first credit card was right before spring break. I was either a sophomore or a junior in college. I don't remember the first year I went on spring break, but, um, and I worked the whole time. Um, I was in school. I actually, I worked at a, worked at a restaurant called Red Lobster. A lot of people have probably heard of that. The best cheese biscuits around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had some cash to go, but of course I wanted some more money to go on the spring break trip. Um, cause I had like plenty of spending cash, but I think I needed some more money to like pay for the hotel or something. So I went to the Wells Fargo by Co College and I asked for a credit card and they gave me $800 credit limit on a credit card. So Wells Fargo financed my first uh, spring break trip. It was awesome. I gotta tell you the funny thing about Red Lobster. So you met my wife, Megan. Mm -hmm. When I met Megan, my family, we never went out to eat. Like we went out to eat, we went to Chi Chi's. I ordered off the kids menu. It was in the days of no free refills. So I got one soda. That's it, because you had to pay for a refill. My dad wasn't going to pay for a refill. So I met Megan and her family. They're going out to eat all the time. And, you know, we're living in Iowa City. We're, I guess, like juniors in college. She's like, want to go to Red Lobster? I'm like, what's the occasion? She goes, dinner. So we were going to Red Lobster <laughs> all the time. It was on her dad's tab. But all of a sudden, I got in, into the world of Red Lobster. It's like every, was it Monday or Tuesday night? It was like all you could eat crab legs. You remember they well, used to, not when I was working there, but maybe they used to have like an yeah. all you can eat crab legs at an all you can eat popcorn shrimp. And really? my wife was digging the popcorn shrimp. So we go to Red Lobster like all the time. And that's where I got and addicted it, to the cheese biscuits. But I thought you'd get a kick out of that. You know, my family, we never went out to eat. I started dating Megan and I'm like thinking this is like a big occasion. Eh, we're just going to go yeah. out to dinner at Red Lobster. 12 years early, just by paying $84 a month. I used to think that way too. And then I realized that wealthy people think completely different than broke people. You see, we're only looking at one side of the balance sheet. Broke people look at the cost of everything and the value of nearly nothing. Wealthy people 
Look at the cost of nearly nothing and the value of nearly everything. That's why Warren Buffett says price is what you pay, value is what you get. So yeah, you can pay $84 a month and pay off a mortgage a whole lot sooner and save $14,000 in interest. But is that the whole story? What if you invested that $84 or $1,000 a year over 30 years at 7% interest? You'd earn $101,000. So you would save $14,000 in interest, but you lose the ability to earn $100,000. That's a net loss of 86,000 bucks. This like is a, it. This like is a really video. good one because we mm -hmm. get this question a lot. I'm 40 years old. Should I start paying off my mortgage faster? And they listen to Dave Ramsey and they're saving their 15% and they're in this big rush to pay off a mortgage that's at 2.75% interest. The math behind that's not that great, but yeah. The math doesn't support it. And this right. is why, because every dollar that we spend on something has an incremental cost or an opportunity cost. And you know, we talked about the compounding video a little bit ago, but that's the true value there. It's that as I invest more money in an earlier point in time, I have the opportunity for it to compound more at a higher rate of return. If you look at the average mortgage mortgage payment today, it's probably three. If you've refinanced your mortgage, three or less. Well, why in the world would you be in a hurry to pay this mortgage off before 25, 35, 45 years old? if we could go invest the extra dollars and the video we watched just a little bit ago said the S and P 500s returned 7.9% over the last 20 years. Well, if that's true, arguably by paying off a mortgage at 3%, you lose 4.9% a year. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the opportunity cost. People don't think about this. And I like how he framed the Warren Buffett because he's, he's right. Wealthy people aren't concerned with what things cost. They're concerned with what they're going to have in the end. What gives me the greatest outcome in the end? And you think about like the financial plans we do for people. That's what we do. We try to help quantify to get you the best outcome. Because if someone came in here and said, what should I do? Well, we run the numbers and say, well, here's the two outcomes. Which one would you like? Never had someone pick the outcome that was the worst. Well, yeah, right. No, yeah. With all the, with all the, facts in front of, no one's going to make the, a bad decision they're always going to pick whichever outcome's better right but most people don't quantify this they make an emotional decision say boy it'd feel really good to have a paid for house well it goes back to your home's not an investment it's your place to live so it's paid for what do you do now with it you're paid for and you're 58 years old now you have an extra mortgage payment to invest you missed out on the 30 years to get there yeah, and here, so here's a couple things I want to point out I liked about the video. One, I do agree with the guy just on kind of the general concepts of, you know, what are you paying for and then what is the value of that? Um, the other thing I liked is he used what I consider a, like, reasonable rate of return with these with investing. What did he use? I, um, I missed he used he 7%. Used. Yeah, that's, that's so a that's, fair rate. Right. So sometimes, you know, some videos on TikTok or YouTube you watch and the assumed rate of return can be like 10, 11, 12%. They Ramsey yeah, assumes 12. Right. And, and can that happen? Yes. I just feel like that's a little... To project out that like consistently is a little um, unrealistic. So I, that's the other thing I liked about the video. He used a reasonable rate of return and his his point of opportunity cost. He's absolutely right. There, there's an opportunity cost. Um, you know, in every really every decision you make. It's like we our financial planning software. A lot of times I've referred 
to using it as your financial decision tree. Because unless you're starting to quantify the decisions you're making, it's hard to know what the outcome is, right? And we obviously don't know exactly what the outcome is. But let me tell you another reason why I like 7%. And I don't like 10 or 11 or 12. He's assuming in this scenario, a linear return, meaning he's going to make seven every single year. Right. And that matters. That's never right. happened. And we know. Yeah. And we know never that happened. the sequence matters. The sequence matters. So it's almost like the discounted rate for somebody averaging 10% a year, because if you average 10% a year, the sequence in which you get the returns matters more than the actual return. If you lose 40% the first year, you can still average 10, but a guy who makes 20 the first year will have more money. And we have a, we have a, a chart on the website that someone can go look at why sequence of return matters. And it matters a ton. And that's why I like a discounted 7% rate. You might make more, but 7% because we're using the static return makes more sense. It's the one thing that our financial plan does. Our financial plan, when we run it through the Monte Carlo simulation, it doesn't, re doesn't assume a static linear return. It assumes what? It assumes all the variances can yeah. go up this much one year, down this much. And that's how you get to a probability of success. Yeah. And also, I'll just tack on one last thing to that for anyone, because there's a lot of calculators out there online. I would anytime you're projecting out, you use numbers that are reasonable, conservative, whatever you want to say, because if it turns out better, well, then that's great. But if you plan on like if you plan on a 12% annualized return and then you base like your contributions on that and then it doesn't work out that way, that might be a problem. Where if you plan on like seven, something that's more reasonable to figure out your contribution rate and it ends up being better, well, that's just that's just more icing on the cake or like I said last week, more gravy on the potatoes at Thanksgiving. Red flag. Red flag. Red flag. All right, Elias, this is actually hilarious because she doesn't say anything. Pretty funny, yeah. But, you know, we talked about this a lot. We just talked about why credit scores matter. You know, okay, well, that's great if you're out of debt and you don't have any wealth. You're still going to need credit. So if you never use a credit card, you don't have any credit. Two, Emergency fund, thousand bucks. That's a thousand bucks. What does that pay for today? I mean, that's Nothing. barely like a car deductible. Think about the people here in Cedar Rapids. If all they had was a thousand dollars in their emergency account last year between COVID and derecho, they probably ended up taking out a credit card. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people that were actually in that in that. Situation. Exact situation. Yeah. So that's just setting people up for failure. We've always talked about having three to six months. I know Susie Orman talked about three years. That's excessive. Um, but my favorite part of this is he convinces people to sell their nice car to buy a crappy car that's going to break down. And that's a that's a Dave Ramsey, right? When she said red flag, that was a Dave Ramsey. Yeah, these advice. are all red flags to Dave Ramsey advice. Which hey, he's helped a lot of people and he does a lot of good, but. I am adamantly against going and buying a $2,000 car that's going to break down all the time. You'll put more money into that car. And if you think about people's thinking, it's just backwards. They buy a crappy car so they can save up money to buy a different car. Wasn't well, that just the same thing as having a payment on the car? Yeah, you just, take exactly that, you the same just thing. go get a nice, reliable car and have a payment. 
it, don't get a pain don't don't get a payment that you can't afford but a nice vehicle that's reliable and you can save the money you need to save and pay your car payment it's not like it's not a I don't know. To me, that's a simple solution. I'm not advocating buying $70,000 cars. What I'm saying is if you're going to save $200 a month to afford a crappy car, just go get a decent car for $200 a month. So it'll get you a decent car. I agree. Because you know by what? the time they... you save up and buy the crappy car, you're going to have to start saving again to buy the next crappy car. You know what, though? Right now, Dave Ramsey heard you say that. He would, he would say that you are an ignoramus or an idiot. That's okay. I'll take it. I think my math backs it up. Important money concepts they don't teach you in school, part one. The 50-30-20 rule. This is a must-do budgeting method for when you start working. The rule is to divide your monthly income into three spending categories. 50% on your needs and essentials like rent, bills, and food. 30% on your wants like clothes, entertainment, and holidays. And put 20% into your savings. And make sure to put the savings somewhere where they'll compound over time. Here's what I remember about school and money concepts. I don't think they taught us any. I do remember learning how to reconcile a checkbook when I, I was in high school. I remember that. We but, learned that. But I don't think they actually, t which today, people don't reconcile checkbooks anymore. I mean, a few people do. No, people just look at their, you sign in online and you go, yep, that was me. Yep, that was me. Yep, that was me. So the first thing I'd say is I don't think the school teaches you much about money. I mean, if you think about the first thing they tell every single high school graduate to do, yeah, go put yourself twenty-five dollars or $30,000 in debt and get student loans. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to college, but there's other ways to pay for college. And if people understood how much twenty-five dollars or $30,000 was each year, they might make a different money decision. Um, but they talk about this 50-30-20 rule. I hate that. The only part of it I like is that they're stripping out the 20% for savings. You know, we talk about doing 10% right away. 20 is fine, but build a lifestyle. I mean, I wouldn't just say, well, 50 is all I can spend on housing and 30% for entertainment. Maybe it's 30% on housing and 30% or 40% for entertainment because that's really what you like to do. And it's that whole lifestyle budget idea. I like the idea of, you know, giving it responsibilities, but don't get locked into 50% for your bills and 30% for entertainment, 20 for savings. Like take care of the savings first then you can allocate those dollars however you want to. Right, and that's, so we talk about this a lot on our show. That's part of the problem with cookie cutter financial advice is maybe 50% on your necessities and 30% on your wants. Maybe that doesn't fit the life that you want. Maybe you're someone who just for, maybe you want to own a really nice home, but you have no desire to travel and do other things. Or maybe... You want to own a more modest home and spend a lot more of your money on traveling and experiences. So that's so you should really have a, a plan um, and a, a financial plan that helps you achieve your specific goals. Right. That's if it's cookie cutter and you just try to fit a what's the saying? You want to fit a square peg into a round hole. That's never going to work for you. You really have to determine a reasonable savings rate and then build your lifestyle with the money that's left the way you want it. It's really why people work with us because they want a customized financial plan to get them the best outcome they can possibly get. Right. I mean, that's why people engage financial advisors to get a customized plan. It's not to just get cookie cutter advice. They want cookie cutter advice. It exists on TikTok and on the internet. And it yeah, goes back can, to where, right. you know, where are you consuming your information? What are their credentials? 
I mean, this guy just made a TikTok video. Anybody can do it. There's no credentials involved to any of this. So people need to be really careful with where they actually get their advice, which is why we review these videos and let people know, hey, we think this is good or we think this is bad. Well, Elias, it was always fun reviewing the videos. If anybody wants help with a financial plan or wants to talk to a financial advisor, you can go to our website at btwellshow.com. Now, with that said, look forward to everybody listening at the next episode. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.